And I remember being like, why am I not happy about this trail being flat? This is such like something I've been wanting for like weeks. And then on a second note, I was so tired. I thought to myself, well, it's so flat. I might as well take advantage of this. Maybe I could close my eyes and sleep and keep hiking, which is truly insane when you think about it. But it made so much sense to me at the time. And I honestly tried that for like, you know, maybe five minutes before I realized that it was just uh, bonkers and delirious. You're listening to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is LL Cool Juniper, or LL for short, known off trail as Caitlin Olson. She jumped on the Pacific Crest Trail in 2017 with her friend Indigo. Setting off with limited experience, they quickly got into the through hiking routine with daily coffee breaks. Almost getting renamed Too Far Away to Help, she shares the story of how quickly things can change out there. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, through spelled T-H-R-U, of course, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with LL. Hi, how are you doing, Erin? So nice to meet you. So nice to meet you as well. I am doing well. How about yourself? Good. Yeah, it's a little rainy day up here in the Bay Area, so nice, cozy podcasting weather. <laughs> well, your your little rainy is torrential downpour down in LA. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and we're well, we're just not built for that. <laughs> No, yeah, no, I'm worried about the mudslides and all that. Have you lived in California uh, for a long time? I basically came down here after college, so I came down here in 93. Oh, cool. And have knocked around the entertainment industry since then. Oh, neat. Yeah, I've just been born and bred here, so all I know. In the Bay Area itself? Mm Mm-hmm, yeah, I've grown up in Oakland, yeah. I was kind of looking looking you up online, you know, to kind of prepare for our conversation. And I found your your website, your hikingwithll.com. Uh yeah. Yep. All live up on there. Yeah. Which got me two questions. What does LL stand okay. for? Yeah, so LL was it's kind of like a shorter version of my trail name that I got on the PCT. Okay, which was? The long form is LL Cool Juniper. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> it's kind of a combination of two shorter stories. My initial trail name, like a week in, was Juniper. And that was a result of me not being aware that I was allergic to juniper tree. And so I, I actually that. couldn't breathe for like the first week when I got on trail, <laughs> which was a drag. But once you figured it yeah. out, you can you know, take a lot of Benadryl and just kind of power through it. So yeah, so Juniper was my first trail name. And then later in the Sierra, I'm a pretty big fan of 90s hip hop. So when we would get to the top of a pass, 
I'd be all hyped up. And so one time I gave a rather like enthusiastic take on LL Cool J's Mama Said Knock You Out, which is one of my favorite songs. And so <laughs> the two kind of combined <laughs> and then I just got LL. But a lot of people think that stands for LL Bean. So I always yes. have to run into that situation. I, I can see where that mistake is happening. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's, uh, that's where LL comes from. I am surprised, though, that they didn't, because it's sort of LL Cool Juniper could really easily be shortened to LL Cool J itself. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was just like a a two-story combo pack that mm. I just wanted to put all into one. Got it. Yeah, no, I was just, I was happy with my trail name. That was a good fit. It's, it's better than uh, some of the other choices that people <laughs> give you. Yeah, I was hoping to not get like a fart joke or like a weird piece of food that I eat. So it worked out well. <laughs> Speaking of weird pieces of food that you eat, what are those? Oh, you know, I pretty much put trash in my body like everyone else on trail yes. the most uh, most of the time. I was very like very specific about the food I had. I kind of look back on it and wish I had tried more things, but you know, it worked for me for that time. So, but yeah, so I primarily... I don't know if I ate very many weird things. I ate a lot of bars. I, pre- I think I know like every bar on the market. And so I would have those all in the morning just because it was really easy to eat while sitting in my sleeping bag mm-hmm. and then just hiking through the morning. And then I never changed my lunch like ever on trail. It was always a tuna wrap. So like one of those tuna packets, tortilla, and then something crunchy or spicy. So like fried jalapeno bits or Cheez-Its or something. I tried hot sauce for a while, but I really can't control myself. And then I'd end up burning my tongue. So my friend uh, Indigo told me that I couldn't have hot sauce anymore. For my <laughs> she own good. cut you <laughs> off. Yeah. But it was all, you know, she's looking out and she realized I couldn't figure out the right ratio. So <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't handle the responsibility. No. So just being a pal. <laughs> yeah. That was anything weird. So what did you end up doing for dinner? Yeah, I mean, that was my favorite meal. I I didn't go stoveless like some other folks. I just really looked forward to sitting down and cooking a nice, a nice warm meal. So, I mean, one of my favorites was Annie's mac and cheese. <sighs> Man, <laughs> the whole box. Like, <laughs> I still think about that. I mean, like, I don't eat an entire box of mac and cheese anymore. But, man, that's a really fun fun thing to do, especially after a long day. And we put it, we put um, olive oil and then... There are these like meat bars that are on the market. They're meat bars. Epic, epic meat bars. I know oh. it sounds crazy. It's just like it's just like jerky, but in the form of a bar. Okay. And so there's one called the bacon bar. So I would cut that up and put it in my mac and cheese for a little extra, little tasty taste. Huh. So that was like one of my favorites. And then you know ramen. I would have double ramen night. So I'd have two packets. And kind of mixed flavors and stuff. It almost sounds like you're going to a fancy restaurant. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we had names for everything just to make it, I don't know, just we would have coffee break. And in my mind, it was always capitalized and like had a trademark at the end. And <laughs> it was just 10, 10 o'clock. We'd have a Trader Joe's. They have um, these instant coffee packs with little milk and uh, sugar in them. They're just dehydrated. Mm-hmm. And so we we would have a couple of those, put it in our talenti jars with a little water and then a sweet treat so we'd have like a cookie or a donut or something and it was coffee break and we were just trying to treat ourselves because we realized we had 
kind of pushed our bodies to the brink in Northern California. So Oregon, we decided to chill out a bit and have coffee break. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you got your 15 minute coffee break. Yeah. Sometimes it was a little longer, but (laughs) yeah. Did you snack on stuff during the day? In the morning, I would have a bar about every two hours. But like a look back on everything when I was writing a lot after the trail, I found that I probably ate at least a thousand, if not like 1200 calories of bars just in before lunch. But then for some reason, when I had my tuna wrap, I was pretty much set. And I don't recall snacking that often. Like I might've carried some like crackers or something kind of salty in my pocket, but I didn't want to have any more bars at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so not surprising. I, I don't recall eating that much afterwards, but yeah, the dinner was always a treat. So yeah, I pretty much front loaded all my calories throughout the day. Um, <laughs> and then I ate a big lunch and stuff. Right. So, Did you end up like when you guys stopped for, for dinner, you stopped for the night or did you eat dinner and then keep going? Um, in most cases, we just stopped and ate and then immediately fell asleep. Okay. But there, I, it's kind of funny how the trail, it really simplifies your life and you kind of learn things that really seem quite obvious on the face of it. But I remember when one time we stopped and this was the first day we did 30 miles or that I did 30 miles Mm -hmm. at least. And we stopped and had dinner and we had like four, five miles to go. And I remember being astounded by how much energy I had afterwards. And I mean, it shouldn't surprise anyone. (laughs) You just kind of shovel a bunch of calories in your mouth, but I was always excited by how much more energy I had, but usually we just ate and then immediately passed out. Got it. Yeah. Well, I, I guess circling back to your, to your website, hike with com, I went through each of the different stories that you had up there and, oh wow. or at least the ones related to the PCT. I know you've got a couple of other ones there as well, but you are really, really big on statistics. <laughs> yeah. I'm a pretty analytical person. Yeah. Which is actually really awesome to like read through and like really kind of get an understanding from that level of, of the experience of through hiking that long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought it was, I kind of, when I was writing all that, wish that I had taken more stats. Some of my other friends, my friend Bliss, he has a website as well. I think it's called Theo on the PCT.com. And he tracked how many mountain lions he saw or like how many uh, shooting stars he saw how many showers and I loved that I was like man I should have done that I should have tracked all that I mean I think when I was immediately fresh off the trail I actually could it was, and it was just in such close memory that I counted I was like okay I had 22 showers the whole time or something like that mm-hmm. but yeah I I was kind of I mean when I was reading I, I read a ton of blogs before starting the trail to try to I guess make up for the fact that I didn't really backpack that often. Um, <laughs> but I always loved when, when people they're like, I averaged X amount of miles a day and then it dropped this way. And this was my pack weight. And I found if I added this calories, I went this much further. And I don't know, it's all kind of fascinating because I mean, it's like such a weird, uh, it's such an unusual experience to do as a human these days. And so you kind of go back to being an animal. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and there's just a lot of like, interesting tidbits you can learn about how your body works out there. So yeah, I really like that. What did you find out about how your body worked? Well, I guess this isn't much of a a statistical thing, but everyone talks so much about how their feet expanded. Mm -hmm. 
people talk about how they're, you know, as much as like a whole shoe size, their feet got bigger. And I found consistently my feet were always nine and a half. That's my shoe size now. And they would only ever swell up when we got to town and stopped walking. And so my feet looked like sausages when we stopped in town. I couldn't see the bones in my feet at that point. And it was always kind of a struggle getting my feet back into my shoes to get started again because they were so big. But I always thought that was interesting. I was like, oh, no one ever talked about this. (laughs) I didn't even think it was a possibility. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but I felt like, oh, maybe it's just inflamed and it's trying to like make up for the fact that I'm destroying my feet every day. (laughs) I I, I could almost see that when you're walking, your circulatory system is is moving. So it's Mm -hmm. moving fluids through your body, you know down with the the arteries up with the veins and so forth and then when you stop it doesn't do it as much or as efficiently and so it pools yeah at least that's uh, my it was wild though unmedical opinion <laughs> yeah but for anyone out there who's on trail and they're like my feet aren't acting like everyone said they were it's just your body's different i don't know yeah you know i was actually thankful i was because i had just bought four pairs of shoes before I started because I got a great deal on eBay. That's the other thing. I love finding like deals for stuff. So a lot of my gear posts at the very start, I'm like highly <laughs> encourage people to look for deals and use tools. I don't know, like honey and price comparison sites and stuff. Mm-hmm. I forget where I was going with this. Oh, but yeah, but I bought all those pairs of shoes and it was a good thing that my feet didn't change because otherwise I just wouldn't have used the other like three pairs of shoes. Yeah. You would have been stuck. Yeah. <laughs> I also did the same thing with tuna. I bought 40 packs of tuna. That's a good thing I didn't get sick of it. You got got seriously lucky in those respects. Yeah. I didn't win with peanut butter, though. I immediately just cut that out of my system. And my mom was kind enough to arrange all my boxes and ship them out. And I told her, I'm like, do not send me peanut butter. I will throw it in a hiker box. I can't stand it. And it's funny because I love peanut butter off trail, but for whatever reason, it's just like some things you just really have to put your foot down. Yeah. Do you still like peanut butter off trail? Yeah. Yeah. I'll have it as fruit and stuff. Yeah. It's just funny. I used peanut butter when I had it on trail as purely like a a calorie supplement. Mm -hmm. In in Northern California, especially after the, the Sierra year that we had, and I hiked in 2017, the year of fire and ice, it was called because it had a really epic snowpack. So we really slowed down to the Sierra. But once we got to Northern California, we had to kind of make up for lost time. And so, you know, we went from doing like, I don't know, 17 miles a day to 25 miles a day or something like that, or more as we got closer and stronger. But I did not expect how much more calories I would need. And I really bonked at some point. So in the morning, I would take a spoonful of peanut butter and swallow it with water like a pill, like a couple times Mm -hmm. just to get more calories. (laughs) That felt like a weird thing, but it worked for me. (laughs) Did you find yourself bonking at like in the evening or was it the next morning you just didn't have any energy? Probably in the afternoon. Okay. Yeah. I also, yeah. So the point in which I didn't understand like how much how many calories I, ne- I needed was when we left. It was a section between oh, it's like, uh, Truckee and uh, uh, what's that town with the, there's some town in Northern California that has a music festival. <laughs> I can't remember the name of it right now, but 
I just did not pack enough food and it became very clear. And so like, I don't know if you know about these Norris rice sides, but they're supposed to be a side for an entire family. And usually one would be just fine. And I recall <laughs> eating one and immediately feeling like I could eat another one. And it was really sad because I didn't have enough food, <laughs> but people are really sweet. And so like, I don't know, my trail family could tell that I was a little out of sorts. So my friend would be like, you need to eat your emergency trail mix right now. Cause I didn't like trail mix, but I kept it as like a, a backup just in right. case I ever really ran out of food. And so she forced me to eat it and some other people on trail had extra food. And so they give it around. So yeah, it's, it's really great with the hiking communities. I don't know. I found it was really supportive and people are very understanding and it's kind of like a, a symbiotic relationship between a lot of people. Cause if you have food that you don't want to eat and you're carrying it, you will gladly give it to someone. <laughs> And likewise, they'll do the same for you. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really great. But yeah, it's funny. If your food yourself that you eat and like changes, doesn't change, the amount you'll eat will definitely change. Yeah. Did you have a problem once you got off trail and you're used to eating a, you know, an entire package of mac and cheese (laughs) or an entire package of, of whatever to pull the appetite or to pull the consumption back because your appetite Um, changed or? I don't think so. I think, I think we were fine. Uh, I was fine doing that. I remember being really sad about it. (laughs) (laughs) It is glorious to eat everything you want. I know. And you got to eat all these sweet treats and like, you know, really, I probably should have, like I had vegetables and fruit and we would have, you know, yogurt in town to help with probiotics. So I wasn't eating entirely trash, but like it definitely was the least healthy foods that I've ever eaten in my life. But we, uh, I got to the end of the trail and we, I went to Vancouver with some trail friends. And I remember like our first morning in Vancouver, we went to this cafe and they had all of these amazing looking pastries. And at first I was, I'll have this one and that one and this one. <laughs> and then I had to like, okay, just take one. You're not hiking 20 miles today or something like that. <laughs> but I was yeah. like, oh man, I can't have them all. <laughs> Damn. Um, yeah, that is a fun part of doing it. If anyone's looking for a food vacation, the PCT is definitely that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. You can get away with pretty much anything at that point. Yeah. We would uh, a cheeseburger tour and compare it to different places on trail. That would be uh, kind of fun. I always have those. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that no one has done like a food blog of different PCT towns. Because that would be quite interesting. Taking really like artsy photos of the various cheeseburgers and gut busters and mm-hmm. hiker trash burger yeah now giving somebody the idea yeah go for it <laughs> i would i would definitely read that and like it'd be fun to go back in time and be like oh uh, i was listening to your the earlier podcast with uh, greta and she talked mm-hmm. about the hiker trash burger and cascade locks yes. and i didn't personally eat that but i felt gross watching someone eat that because <laughs> it, it's literally a personal pepperoni pizza like two pepperoni pizzas and then double bacon cheeseburger i don't know how anyone survives eating that (laughs) but it no one felt happy after they ate it i don't know but they had to do it i guess so i didn't feel inclined (laughs) (laughs) you didn't succumb to the peer pressure no no not me not that time (laughs) not that time but other times you had i mean like so there was a burger in um, uh, Sierra City 
which is a tiny little town north of Lake Tahoe. And they have this infamous burger called the Gut Buster. Mm-hmm. And the Gut Buster is a pound cheeseburger, I think. And I didn't succumb to eating a pound of cheeseburger because that's a little too much. But I had the half Gut Buster, which personally for me was just enough food. And we had to wait for the guys in our group who tried it to kind of digest a bit before we started getting back on trail. Mm-hmm. So they were a little, little hamburger sleepy after that. <laughs> food coma. Yeah, exactly. You had one person that you were hiking with from the beginning, correct? Yeah. Yeah, my friend Indigo. Indigo. But how many Mm -hmm. people did you end up, like, trail family-wise, kind of hiking with and around and that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. So our trail family's kind of, it adjusted just a bit, but I think our, our, we had, like, two core groups. And our first trail family, we went through with at the Sierras. and pretty much went through with them all the way to Ashland. And so I think it was really important, at least for Indigo and I, to have more of a a group, especially in the Sierra, Mm -hmm. just because we had literally like no experience dealing with the mountaineering required in the Sierra. I had watched a YouTube video of how to use my ice axe and that was it. (laughs) And I remember like we were, um, we were in, not Lone Pine, but well, I can't remember any of the names of these towns. But there's a town where you're like entering the Sierra after you do Whitney and stuff. And you're about to start a seven, eight day, nine day section. Mm-hmm. And all these people in this hostel were, it was such a somber time. It was like the most somber group I'd ever been with at this hostel. Cause everyone was trying to decide whether or not they would skip ahead or do it. Cause we all kind of had been slapped in the face by the little amount of snow we had in the section prior and we had done a couple river crossings and I mean it was no joke when they talked about like how like dangerous the Sierra was at that point and so like we really wanted a group and so fortunately we uh, linked up with some really amazing folks who had had they had all done the John Muir Trail before so they knew the environment and we all had a shared desire for safety, which, believe it or not, was not a super critical like factor in a lot of trail families. Really? Yeah. I was always astonished by this because, you know, we would, we had a great team dynamic. We'd make sure that everyone was together, that everyone knew where we were going. We'd wait for each other for river crossings, you know, like, I mean, we did pretty basic things that I was surprised that other trail families didn't. We would see someone, like, have you seen my trail family? And we're like, no. They're like, oh, yeah, they must be like 10 or 12 miles ahead of me. And I'm like, are they really your trail family at this point? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to cross a river alone? Like, yeah. it was, I mean, because some of these would get, you know, up to your waist was like not an uncommon occurrence. And, you know, you need a group to do it safely. Yeah. I saw your, your video about the eye formation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was actually a video that my friend Isco took. But yeah, that was at a creek called Wide Creek, which was very suitable. It was the widest creek I think we ever crossed. The very fact that that thing is called a creek is just phenomenal. Yeah. That's not a creek. You know, the seasonal streams, and you Mm -hmm. look at it, you're like, yep, that's white caps, sure. Yeah. (laughs) eye formation i mean we would talk with rangers who told us how we should like a ranger once gave us an ice axe lesson at the top of one of the passes and 
tell us how to do the eye formation. And mm-hmm. yeah. And like, so we work together really well. Why, why don't you describe, why don't you describe the eye formation? I've seen the video obviously, but. Sure. Yeah. It, it's, it's very important. I think it's a good piece of information for people to know. So I'll exactly. try to, do my best to describe it. So yeah. So the eye formation, basically the whole theory behind it is if you walk facing up the river and you have a string of people, so in the shape of an eye, the one person behind another person facing upstream, what it does is it breaks the current for the people in the back. So if the person at the front, so the person we had at the front was our tallest member of our group, and, and he was six two, six three. sorry, bless mm-hmm. if I can't remember your height, really tall guy. And it was at, up to his waist when we first got in. But at the person at the back, it was at five. So... It was like a pretty amazing like force. Yeah. I I mean, I'd be happy to show the video for anyone if they want to take a look at it. I think it's really informative. And then you kind of just coordinate and you hug the person's like hips in front of you. And then you lean forward. So you kind of help the person in front provide enough force to break against the current. And then in a coordinated effort, we would call out like step and everyone would step and adjust step. It's like a slow process and you just walk all the way across and then if things get too deep you can move up i wouldn't suggest moving backwards but you know take a step up to get past something um and then you kind of just shuffle your way across we would do that we didn't do that for every creek but just the really big ones and i I can't imagine doing it any other way um, especially with the the force of it well the i mean the the video that i saw from wide creek with the 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 biggest guy, but the guy basically in the front and then the women behind him. I mean, you guys were all, it was, it almost looked like you guys were close to a foot shorter than he was. And with him breaking mm-hmm. the current, then you guys could follow behind him across the river. Yeah. Cause like if I had jumped in in the front, it would have been at my belly button at least. And yeah. then that's really no match for like how fast the current was going. So if you, I mean, if you don't have like a really like, good team effort, you could easily get swept away. Not Absolutely. to like fear monger anyone, but <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I've written about this on my website, but when Indigo and I, we didn't have that team. And so it was our first time doing some river crossings before it was before Forester Pass between Mount Whitney and Forester Pass. And there are three creeks that you have to cross between there. And we got to the third one and it was, it was like 630 at night. So it's, a, it's not the right time to cross, but there was snow everywhere. Like there was, and we wanted to make sure that we were going to get to Forrester um, in the morning because that's the safest time to go up snow when it's a little like icy. So we wanted to cross this last creek and it was just the two of us though. So we walked upstream maybe a mile and then we found a place that looked safe enough. And so we started to just shuffle across. We didn't get an eye formation. We just were walking, facing upstream, just shuffling and Indigo was closer to the other side than I was. She'd gone in first mm-hmm. and she had done a sidestep and then unexpectedly dropped quite a bit because it dropped off just because of the, the creek floor. Mm-hmm. And she like started to get pulled back her, you know, her backpack fell back. And so luckily she <laughs> reacted quick enough to like grab on the side of the creek. She was close enough to get some bushes mm-hmm. and pull herself out. But man, it was frightening. And she got out and just immediately yelled to me, don't go this way. <laughs> <laughs> go further upstream. And I'm like, roger that. Yeah. 
but yeah, we got out of there and I mean, we were soaked from our belly buttons down and that was maybe like the coldest night I had on trail just cause you're so like your body temperature drops so much. It's just snow melt. It's just like ice water. Right. I mean, it's crazy. So yeah. like for her, I mean, you guys are going through ice water, which means that you're essentially giving yourselves an ice bath. And then there's yeah. the fright of, of losing your footing and so forth, which causes the adrenaline rush. And I mean, it's, it's a recipe for shock. Yeah. yeah it shook us up quite a bit. And that's why I think we were at first, of course we're going to go through this year. And like afterwards, I mean, I was a little doubting it. I was, mm-hmm. I'm not sure we're equipped to do this, but that fortunately we found our group and actually that story of Indigo almost getting swept away. She actually talked with an LA times reporter like later and we got on the front page of the LA Times because she, she almost got swept away and they were doing some story about the PCT that summer. And that's how my mom learned about that experience. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> yeah. And then I almost got a new trail name because my description was, and her trail partner, Caitlin Olson, too far away to help. So I almost <laughs> got too far away to help. <laughs> that would have been funny. Oh, my. Yeah. What put you guys out? What sent you guys out to the trail in the first place? Ooh. I think we both, we, we had different, I guess, histories with the PCT. Indigo hadn't known about the trail since her childhood. She had been backpacking since her childhood. I think it always been a thing that she wanted to do. And we, we met in high school. Um, we didn't go to the same college or anything. But for her, it was just, I mean, she just loves being outdoors and has always wanted to do the PCT. So I think for her, it's like a no brainer. And then myself, I, I mean, I was certainly like, I liked hiking and being outdoors, but I hadn't backpacked until a year and a half before doing the PCT and Indigo had taken me on my first backpacking trip. And I had watched REI videos of like how to backpack and... (laughs) But yeah, I remember we went to the Lost Coast and that's like a, a really amazing trail for anyone who wants to come to California and do a trail. And I remember just being enthralled with it. I was like, wow, I literally carry everything I need and it's on my backpack and we just get up and go and it looks like no one was ever here. And I just remember like kind of falling in love with it. But I would also be remiss if I didn't say that I am one of the people who read Wild and that's how the idea kind of planted in my head. And I have no shame about it. Um, some yeah. people kind of poke fun at all the wild people, but you know what? It got me going um, onto the trail. And and I think a year later, so a year after that first trip, Indigo and I would meet up at winter break to catch up. And I just asked her, I'm like, do you want to do this after we graduate? And she was down. So yeah, I spent like, I guess, a year and a half planning for it. But I don't think I told anyone until like a year before. I don't know why. I just didn't know if it'd be real. But thankfully, it all worked out. And so I kind of wanted to do it just because it sounded like an awesome ad- adventure and good timing because I had just graduated. And I kind of wanted to, I don't know, invest in myself, push myself a bit and kind of do something, I don't know, do something kind of cool and crazy. It was graduation part of the reason that you guys didn't start until Tehachapi? Yeah, that exactly. Yeah. So we, our graduations were in mid to late May. Indigo's graduation was at at the end of May or early June. And so it, or I think it was end of May. And so I had read again, all the blogs and all the blogs said that it was a bad idea to start at the border, uh, Mexican border at that time. And so, and I, I agree. I mean, like, I think, I mean, I haven't been there still, but 
I, I mean, that's a lot of catch up you have to play. And so I kind of picked out a spot and a date where we would be kind of in the middle of the pack, so to speak. Right. And a lot of the blogs said, get to South Kennedy Meadows by June 15th. And so I kind of just backtracked and figured out, okay, we're going to start on this day. And we started on June 6th, which was the day before Indigo's birthday, into Hedgebeam. Fantastic. Yeah. Which ironically is where the wild lady started, uh, Cheryl Strade. That was where she had started as well. She started in Tehachapi? Yeah. Hmm. Do you see yourself ever going back and getting the desert section? Or are you like satisfied with the the hike that you did? Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to go back and finish it up. The desert, we had just like a, a snippet of the desert. And I remember just being blown away with how like gorgeous it was. And people told us that we were at the most deserty section, I guess. Like that's where we started because um, mm-hmm. you're in the Mojave Desert at, at Tehachapi. Right. But I would, I would love to go back and do it. I don't have any immediate plans to do so. I mean, it would require taking six weeks off <laughs> to do 560 miles or so. But yeah, I would love to go back. But also, I mean, it, it you know, I hiked, I hiked my hike, and I really enjoyed doing the whole thing, um, which was my whole thing. You know, the 1,800 mm-hmm. miles. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm both satisfied, but would eagerly take more if I could. Did you, did you catch the bug from it? Like wanting to do not only just maybe the, that 500 miles, but other trails and things like that? Yeah. I mean, it's always kind of like an idea in my head. I don't know if I'm like dropping everything to go hike. I mean, like kudos to people who do like triple crown and stuff. I, I mean, I applaud them. I follow along with a lot of intensity, but I don't know. I found satisfaction in other parts of my life. So I continue to, you know, be outdoors a lot and I go on trail runs and hikes and stuff. I don't backpack as often as I'd like to just because of um, my work and everything. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm pretty young, so I'm not like (laughs) uh, crossing anything out at this point. Um, Never say never. Yeah, exactly. For your, for your pack. Mm -hmm. What did you guys do? Yeah. Gear. Love <laughs> what I do for my pack. Yeah. I had a ULA circuit. Okay. Which actually was what Indigo had as well. And I actually got mine out of panic, uh, like two weeks before I started because I had meticulously researched and bought all my gear over the course of six months before starting. And I originally thought I'd go with, I think it's the Osprey aura 55 mm-hmm. liter. Yeah. So I bought that pack and I took it on some training backpacking trips and I would do training hikes, shovel a bunch of stuff in it and then go hike, you know, 12 or so miles. But then when I was, you know, really getting down to the wire, I, I think I kind of uh, directed all of my nervous energy at my gear. And I had some realization of this backpack weighs too much. I need to go lighter. And it is a pretty heavy backpack. I think it's like four, four and a half pounds. Yeah. Um, in the scheme the of packs, yeah. Yeah. So I, two weeks before, ordered a ULA circuit and I think it's two and a half pounds or something. Like it shaved a significant amount of weight off. And I loved that pack. I thought it was perfect. It gives you a whole bunch of sweaty back, but I don't know what pack really doesn't. And it was super comfortable. It fit everything I wanted. I could strap my bear can to the top um, without any problems. And yeah, I'm a huge fan of that pack. And like the company is really great. I had broken off a few pieces, so I called them when I finished, and they just sent me the pieces for free, and I fixed it up really easily. 
Nice. So I'm a huge fan. I still love that pack and not a tear in it, which was bonkers to me because I certainly didn't treat it delicately. I would like throw it on the ground. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a huge fan. I'm a very big supporter of that backpack. Yeah. Did now I'm trying to think what is its help? What is its hip belt like? Oh, like is there um, pockets in it and things like that to put? Oh yeah. In? It has big pockets. It has much bigger pockets than an Osprey um, does. Okay. Um, or at least the version that I had. So it's all made it, it looks like handmade which it is and it's just uh it's got foam and it's the same foam that's on the back around the hip belt so like the inside and then it has these massive pockets that i mean i would fit my phone i carried an asthma inhaler because i have asthma mm-hmm. uh, a knife just like random stuff in it and then in my other pocket my snack pocket i would have like three or four bars and it all fit fine and so Nice. That was a thing, like, with the Osprey, I couldn't fit my phone in the pockets. Mm-hmm. So I did have a little, like, oh, like, where am I going to put it? Because you use it so often for, like, photos and navigation and stuff and music. So, yeah, so, yeah, that was a great. Uh, and then the the belt itself, the, the buckle is, it's a bit, it's smaller than what Osprey uses. So I'd say it's, like, maybe an inch, an inch and a half tall, which at first I thought might be, a bit of an issue because it seems like it would dig into you a little bit just because how small it is but mm-hmm. it really wasn't a big deal at all i was like comfortable with it the whole time nice yeah and then and then it has these straps that you just like pull it tighter so right did you have any issues with as you were going along uh losing weight and or whatever around your hips that the belt became oh. too big not not the backpack belt I did lose, I think, between like 10, but somewhere between 10 and 15 pounds on trail. And so, I mean, the biggest issue I had was that my shorts were too big. <laughs> and I would, at, like, you know, when I got on trail, I would just wear them normally. And I, you know, maybe use the tie to like make them a little tighter, but that was it. And by the end of the trail, I was rolling them up twice and then pulling the string as far as I could to keep them on my hips. And, but I also was kind of a crazy person because everyone else was just like, why don't you get new shorts? And I was just like, it's fine. It works. (laughs) When in reality, I should have just not been a dummy and gotten a new pair of shorts (laughs) that was more comfortable. But I was Did you just not want to spend the money or was it sort of the the pride of the same shorts and? Uh, Neither, really. I was just afraid that I'd get something that would Mm. work less. And I was like afraid of like chafing a lot, but that really shouldn't have been an issue at that point. Cause you're, I mean, your skin kind of becomes leather in between your thighs <laughs> at that point. Like something interesting is I found like with, with men and women, the hair inside of your legs stops to grow because you're just, there's no, there's no chance it's going to grow back. Cause it'll immediately just get chafed down because you're walking so often. That's huh. like an interesting thing. Yeah. That is a very interesting fact. Yeah. So. Did you have any issues with other issues with chafing or, or blisters or anything like that? You know, I was really fortunate in that area. I, I maybe had a couple blisters, maybe when it got hot and my feet were dirty, but I had like nothing close to what other horror stories some people had, but my shoes worked for me. My socks worked for me, but yeah, I did get some chafing on like my inner thighs before I started, but like that quickly went away again, just because your skin just toughens up. Um, you have leather now. 
Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I didn't have many listers. What were you using for, for shoes and, and socks? Oh, okay. I had the, I had darn tough, like micro socks that went up to my ankles. And I had a, I had two pairs, which I would switch out every day. And I would, we would try to like wash them, especially in like the dustier parts. So I think that helps with minimizing the amount of blisters because you just get all like the gunk out of there. Right. Yeah. So you'd wash your old socks and like hang them up to dry on your pack during the day and then switch them out the next day. And then for shoes, I use the Ultra Lone Peak 3.0s. And I'm a huge fan of that shoe because it has this incredible toe box where you kind of look at it and you're, I mean, you can move your toes around. They're not like squished at all, like other running shoes. Mm-hmm. And you kind of wonder why every other shoe isn't like this because it just is, I don't know, I thought it to be far more comfortable. And then it has like, they have this thing called zero drop in the ankle. So I don't know. It's supposed to be more minimalistic. Yeah. And you didn't have any issues with the zero drop in your Achilles or anything like that? No, I had also like trained a lot with it before going on trail, which I I recommend a lot, you know, to everyone. I would do a um, training hike every two weeks with my backpack and I would do like a local mountain in our area. And it's about, I don't know, 2,500 feet of elevation and it's 13 miles, I think. So it's like a full day hike with the pack. And then I would do gear checks. I'm like, did this all work? Yeah, I remember one right. time it was raining and I was like, oh, great. I could try out my rain stuff. <laughs> and I was like, I think I was the only person on this mountain and it got was really cold. By the the rain. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, my rain jacket works. This is great. <laughs> yeah. I, but I, I prepared a lot just because that's like my personality to like prepare and test and tweak mm-hmm. and stuff. So what did you, of the stuff that you, you already talked about like swapping out your pack, but of the the gear and the stuff that you had prepared or that you were preparing, like what were some of the things that mm-hmm. you found in your hikes that caused you to swap things out or change things up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I did drop a few things. I had these pair of, uh, they're called like zero shoes. And I thought those could be like my camp shoes and they're just like a lightweight sandal. And it was helpful during the Sierra when I mean, our feet were wet for weeks just because you're in snow and then you're in a river and that kind of goes back and forth all day. Mm-hmm. Um, so your feet are like, you know, raisins by the time you yeah. get to camp. So it's to kind of like dry them out. But once we got to Northern California, I was, I don't really ever use these and I'm fine just, you know, wearing my shoes. So I sent those home. I also started with an iPod Nano, which is the belt clip one. It's like a little, little square. Yeah. And I had that because I thought that my battery pack might not last with my phone if I decided I wanted to listen to music or something. So I had all like my music on my iPod. And then two things happened where I was my ba- I know I need my battery pack enough that it would last fine. So I had the Anchor 10,000. Right to do the recharging. Yeah, and I had I have an iPhone 6s I think. And so I would take, you know, maybe a dozen photos a day and then pull out the map every so often and then listen to podcasts and music in the afternoon. So I sent the Nano home. I'd also like listen to every song and I was just sick of it. So I sent that home. Now on your phone, were you using like gut hooks or something like that? Oh yeah. I was using, we, I use gut hooks all the time. Um, it gives you such great information where we also carried physical maps. Mm-hmm. And I think we'd also maybe taken 
the I had bought the Yogi's Yogi's PCT book um, beforehand and read through it. And she has a great section that like kind of gives you all the details and all the towns that you go into. So I had, you know, cut that out and put it into our boxes that we'd have that. But eventually, I mean, gut hooks will have either the same information or more up-to-date information just because people are there. It's real time. Yeah. And someone's like, oh, this motel really hates hikers. Don't go here. (laughs) You're like, okay, roger that. We'll go there. (laughs) But yeah, and then it was really helpful about uh, water especially in Northern California and Oregon in some parts, because it would tell you if there was a water source and you could plan ahead and such. So we use that and the, the water report that the PCT puts out, which is just a, a spreadsheet on, on Google, Google Drive. And now what, what caused you to carry the paper maps as well, just to be safe? Yeah, just, to, just as like a safety precaution. I mean, you never know what's going to happen out there. I didn't carry uh, a GPS device. I usually hiked with someone that did, which was like a nice bonus. But, you know, in hindsight, I think that I probably should have had one, especially the conditions we were in. But I was just really anal about how much weight I had, even though I don't really consider myself an ultralight person, but I was just generally anxious about that. So, so how much weight I didn't did you get one. With? What was your I base? I my pack weight, my base weight was, I think it was 15.2 ounces or 15 ounces, or sorry, not ounces, pounds. <laughs> that would be crazy. <laughs> sure so <laughs> yeah, I remember like freaking out about the 0.2 pounds <laughs> a few days before leaving. And now I look back on it and I was oh, I was just generally anxious. It really, 0.2 really doesn't matter in the scheme of things. Everything was going to be fine. But you kind of like anchor onto those things. Right. So you become paranoid about it. Yeah. I try and write like write-ups on gear and experiences to be like, to put a little note. I'm like, everything will be fine. Don't freak out. <laughs> and if anything, it's a letter for my like former myself before the trail, uh-huh. you know, even if you, your backpack is point like four ounces heavier than the other one, it just holds all your stuff and that's what it's supposed to do. And it'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, because I certainly fell victim to being a little paranoid about that. Yeah. Did you have anybody try to do a shakedown on you during the trail? Not really. I had a friend who like looked at my lighter pack when we were in a town. And lighter pack for anyone who doesn't know, it's this website that like you can plug in all your info you have about your gear, and it shows you the weight distribution totals, and Hmm. you know, with your snow gear, without your snow gear, it's a great tool, and it allows people to like. You could do like online shakedowns. So this happens a lot on like Facebook and Reddit forums where people are like, shake me down. And people are like, <laughs> why are you carrying this? This is useless. So, so I had a friend who did that for me and he's, and he's like very ultralight. His name is Isco, the most famous Finnish PCT hiker out there. And he basically told me, uh, LL, you're fine. Like just get rid of your, your sleeping pants or change them out. And I was like, oh, but they're so comfy. I want to <laughs> get rid of them. <laughs> But yeah, and then one time, I think in Northern California, Indigo and I just did an on-trail shakedown, and we got rid of a few things. That's when I sent home my iPod and um, my camp shoes and stuff. But yeah, that's about it. I, I was really happy with the gear I took. It all really worked out for me. But I also spent months researching exactly what I should take. Right. But I think that might be a little overboard for people. <laughs> and you have, I'm trying to remember, if you have your gear list 
on your website or not? Yeah, it's um, it's on there. It's, I think it's in a top tab or something. I called it some funny title, like, what did I call it? 50 Pieces of Gear I Loved, Liked, and Loathed. Yes. And so it's all categorized like that. And I put all the, the price I got it at and the weight and, you know, my thoughts on it. So, yeah, it's all up there with a bunch of my thoughts. The only thing I loathed were my shorts for anyone who wants a spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> that was the only thing I loathed. <laughs> Well, and even if you loathed your shorts, you still kept them. Yeah, just out of fear that something might be worse, <laughs> which is a very pessimistic way to like view the world. <laughs> definitely, but, definitely. Yeah. And I, I also saw your 107 Things I Learned mm-hmm. on the trail. <clears throat> yeah. That is a yeah, fantastic like, list. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, a lot of people really liked it, which was really nice to see. and. Uh, yeah, I actually, I wrote that literally on trail while walking in Washington. It was just something I wanted to, I knew I wanted to do some kind of like summary of the experience. So, mm-hmm. and I, I love a list format. So I wrote that out. A lot of like funny little things. Absolutely. And and I'm going to hit a couple of them, believe me, but. Oh, okay. <laughs> did you just write that out on your phone, like in the notes or something? Yeah. Yeah. I, I okay. use like the Apple notes app. I I did like a daily recap on my Instagram. So I would I would write those all on my phone and then when we got to town post it all on Instagram. And that first just started being a mom look I'm alive thing. <laughs> just let her know that everything was going well and to keep my like friends and family up to date. But it was really wild to see like I that I all of a sudden like some strangers started following my Instagram and I was like, This is weird. This is not <laughs> what was the intention. But it actually was really sweet. And like when I finished, these random strangers were like, oh, thanks for letting us follow along. Glad you finished. And I was like, oh, that's really sweet. So it's been really cool to interact with the internet community online. And that's in part why I set up my website. Because like I have an email up there and I get some some really nice emails from people who are either like planning to do the hike or just read it and just want to say, hey, like liked your, your posts or I'm planning on doing the JMT and I used your gear thing. So I felt, I don't know, I, I I felt like I needed to put that out because I had sucked up so much information from other people who'd written about the hike that I only felt indebted to like do something to give back. So right, it's yeah. been really nice to do that. So I think it's great that you're doing this podcast. I definitely would have listened to it if it existed before my hike. So it's really cool. Yeah, it's just, it's fascinating for me. And partly that is my personality and partly that is a little bit of terror about going on the trail, but it's just fascinating to me, like people's stories and, and the information that, that you all have accumulated through the Mm -hmm. experience of preparing and hiking the trail. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely learned a lot, a lot of experiences. Yeah. Something that I felt that people didn't write about was kind of like your worst days. Uh I think that's like important to talk about so that people maybe who are on trail, like don't feel like, Oh, everyone else is enjoying it. I'm viewing people's Instagrams and they're having a ball. So I thought it was important to talk about that too. But fortunately I didn't have many bad days. So that that was a good, good part of it. Yeah. What were your bad days like? Yeah. I'd say like my worst day on trail was the only day I ever woke up and felt didn't want to go. I didn't want to, keep hiking and that was the day after I learned that my uh, my family pet had died my dog mm-hmm. Teddy 
And like, I had learned about it through a text message that my dad had sent me. And I don't know, I just, it felt like I was in the wrong place, you know, like I should have been home. So that was really hard. And just get out of bed and like, keep going. And unlike your lowest points and when I just wanted to be home with my family. So, but fortunately I was with some friends and they kind of like brought up my mood a bit. And I I'd made a friend who had also lost a dog on trail. So we talked about that and got to know each other a bit. But yeah, that was, that was a tough day. I just remember that was literally the first time and the only time I ever like woke up and I was like, I want out. I didn't want to like quit the trail, but I just wanted to be somewhere else in that time. Right. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I guess other bad days were just my body hurts and everything is so <laughs> Canada so far away. And why am I doing this? Right. But was that kind of every day? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I remember being on trail and I was, I knew this was going to hurt, but man, this really hurts and it will never stop. My feet didn't stop hurting after we stopped hiking until a week later. There's just so much uh, tension in your feet and they're just, I don't know, your whole, everything muscle just kind of like aches. Mm-hmm. I think if, if someone were to do this long term, I would say like hike for four days and like rest or something or, but like, I don't, you know, I think, but like I hear about these people who do like 40 to 50 miles a day and I'm in awe. Like, I don't know how your body keeps up with that. Do you do some weird stretching routine or eat some superfood? Like, I don't know. But yeah, like your body pretty much hurt. My feet hurt every day from Sierra until I came home. But some days it just kind of, you know, maybe your pack was heavy. Like one time my pack was super heavy. I was really tired because, you know, eight hours only goes so far of sleeping when you're like hiking for, you know, 12 or something like that. And I just felt very low energy. And I remember thinking it was like where we were, it was flat for the first time in like weeks. And I remember being like, why am I not happy about this trail being flat? This is such like something I've been wanting for like weeks. And then on a second note, I was so tired. I thought to myself, well, it's so flat. I might as well take advantage of this. Maybe I could close my eyes and sleep and keep hiking, (laughs) which is truly insane when you think about it. But it made so much sense to me at the time. And I honestly tried that for like, you know, maybe five minutes before I realized that it was just uh, bonkers and delirious. And and I think I like set my pack down. And I was just, screw this. I just need to sit and drop everything and like put my hands in my head and be sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. And then soon enough, my trail family caught up and they're like, what's wrong? And I was like, everything hurts. <laughs> and Fortunately, we were, uh, one of the people I was hiking with, he's a, a nurse, and he asked me, have you taken any pain medication? And I was, I mean, let's take an ibuprofen or two. And he's like, you're not a baby. Take four. Also try Tylenol. <laughs> and that was when I started taking a Tylenol like almost every day, which was, I don't think it's healthy in the long term, but it really helped me just keep going. It, it, took, the, it took the harshness off the pain? Yeah. I mean, the way Tylenol works to my understanding is it just stops your brain from like sensing the pain. Hmm. Maybe the inflammation is still there, but neurologically you might not feel it as much, which honestly, when I say that out loud, it sounds kind of trippy and scary, but it just helps if you could not focus on the pain for a few hours, it was blessing. Cause like it still hurt and stuff, but at least it wasn't consuming your mind. Like it was in that moment for me. Yeah. 
I, I got to say in the last, we'll say 24 hours, the idea of hiking the PCT is very exciting, but the, the reality of being in pain every day, you know, and, and all of the mm-hmm. different ways that your body can be in pain mm-hmm. is overwhelming. Oh, I mean, it's, when I look back on it, it doesn't feel like that bad. And like, I was hiking with friends. So I think hiking with people who make you laugh and kind of like are there with you and can like really understand exactly what you're going through. It helps a lot. And there's also so many silly things to laugh about because of the pain. I don't know if anyone's ever told you about the the hiker hobble. No. Yeah. So this is what happens when you're hiking a lot and then you're in town, especially when this happens. And like you get out of someone's car that has, has given you a ride or something and you literally hobble because of the pain because you're, you're, all your muscles are finally not moving. So they might get a little more inflamed or something. I don't really know why it happens, but I, I actually was a trail angel for a friend of mine who was hiking the trail this summer or last summer. And I had forgotten about this. And it was really entertaining. I mean, like, I felt bad, but I was like, oh, my God, the hiker owl, I forgot that existed. And these poor women were, like, you know, limping into a taqueria. <laughs> but it was, but yeah, it's funny stuff like that. Indigo and I, I mean, she's a total delight and kind of eases all the anxiety in me and, and can kind of make me laugh a lot. And so we would do this thing where we would talk to our feet and our legs, and especially in Northern California, and we would finish up a day and be stretch, like stretching our feet. I didn't stretch that often, but maybe massaging them or something. And we'd be like, Hey feet, you did so well today. 30 <laughs> miles. Wow. Like that's incredible. Now I know what you're thinking. Tomorrow's going to be easy day. Sorry to say we're doing 28 tomorrow. So rest up tonight. And we would do this. And it, it, I don't know. It was just something like a little funny quirk thing that we would do just to kind of make us laugh about it. And mm-hmm. just to kind of like, put in perspective how crazy this was, what we were doing. So I don't know. I mean, it was definitely painful, but I definitely would not say that's a reason not to do it. Right. Yes. Yes. You just got to wrap your head around the concept of it all. Yeah. I, I don't think you can really like understand like what that kind of like perma pain is like until you do it. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just kind of funny because then you'll be with people mostly who I think a lot of the people who do the PCT are, like first time through hikers, maybe, or maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. There's some survey out there, but I remember being, you know, everyone had kind of had a shared experience with it and we were kind of newbies. So like people would tell us their, their stories in the desert and like all the crazy blisters they had and how their body hurt and stuff. And I don't know, you're kind of like with a whole group of people doing it together. So it doesn't, you know, when you're on, I think if you were alone, it'd be much harder. So Right. You know, Matter circle people who do southbound me, but I really found like the community event really helps in a lot of respects. They're distractions, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we would make each other laugh, do little silly skits and sing together. And I had a blast with my trail families. Yeah. And you said you had two of two different families throughout the trip. Yeah. And then uh, the guys that we hiked with in Sierra and Northern California, we didn't meet up with them again until you know, maybe 50 miles before the border or something like that. But between then in Washington and parts of Oregon, well, I guess in Washington was like our core trail family in that respect. And there are three guys and we, I don't know, it was just funny. Like it was just three, three dudes and Indigo and I, and we had like a nice little dynamic, uh, yeah, doggy hatchet and, uh, 
So with us, when we got snowed on in Washington, that was in the North Cascades, if I recall correctly, or just maybe just before it. But that was truly the coldest I'd ever been in my entire life. And I would have been miserable if I hadn't been with people who were like laughing because they also couldn't flick on their lighters because their numb- fingers were so numb. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was maybe in the morning, 33, mm-hmm. but you have summer clothing on. So, yeah. and, you know, I was in shorts and rain pants and that like, that was my layers down, you know, down there and like, maybe like a shirt and my puffy and a rain jacket. And I remember one morning I packed up and I'm like waiting for everyone to go. And then I start crying because I'm so cold and I was, I gotta go. I'll meet you guys there. And I just run for three miles with my pack on to warm up. Wow. But yeah, but yeah, that was the coldest I think I'd ever been. How heavy was your sleeping bag? Or I guess what oh, what rating was your sleeping bag? It was it was a 15 degree bag. It was mountain hardware. It's called a Phantom Flame. Okay. So I don't know anyone else who had had that bag. I think quilts are really in right now. Yeah. Because they're really warm and light. But I, I, I don't know. I wanted a bag. And my mom at the time had some really crazy discount with mountain hardware. And at first I was, I'll just get a 25 degree. It'll be fine. And she's just, if I'm getting this for you, you're getting 15 or else I'm going to worry that you're going to freeze to death. And kudos to her. Cause you know, 15 was really perfect for me. It was warm enough and really cuddly. And there was a, a lot of fluff and down all around. Mm-hmm. So it was a cozy one. I liked it. It was really heavy though, comparatively to other people. If I wanted to drop weight, I probably will swap out my sleeping bag for something lighter. Uh, later down the line or or coordinate it so that you have something that's heavier like that hypothetically on a pct again like up in washington versus down in the desert yeah i mean like i was never like sleeping cold in washington it was just Hmm. the day of hiking when it was uh when it was uh raining and snowy out Uh just because you have to be really careful about everything getting wet but i really enjoyed my bag i've gone on a little trips with it in like april in like the bay area probably dips to maybe 45 or something. And I've been comfortable in it. I'm a pretty cold sleeper though. So people have to know how they sleep. And generally I'm just a cold person. Like my fingers are always cold. So it was a good thing to get a 15 degree. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny, but that, I mean, I'm hearing this from a lot of people that they may have thought about a, you know, 20, 25, whatever, but Mm -hmm. when they settle on the 15, the 15 is about the right range based on the temperature and the conditions and so forth that you're going to run into. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Cause like 15 is, I think some like REI person told me this, but 15 is you will not die at this temperature in this bag. <laughs> but if, if, if you add 10 degrees to it, so 25, 25 is the coldest it can be and you still be comfortable. So I think that's a good measure for people to like, think about. So like if someone got a 30 degree bag, I mean, that would be horrifying. I, I yeah. would be so cold <laughs> every day. <laughs> so yeah, 15 degree. I think anything below 15 might be a little like overzealous, mm-hmm. especially like hotter nights in like Northern California and stuff. But yeah, I think it's right around the sweet spot. Did you use an inflatable mattress or did you use like the egg crate? Oh, yeah. I, I'm a side sleeper. So I got okay. the uh, the Neo Air. The third, what was it? I don't know. It's the near X light. It's the banana yeah. one. It's the like yellow. Yep. That thing is so comfortable. I, 
I'm a huge fan of it. And I was really careful to not get holes in it. I didn't cowboy camp that often, if at all. I think I maybe did it twice. I just really loved my tent and stuff. But I loved the Neo Air. I mean, it's kind of a pain to blow up and fold in the morning, but I'm kind of like a creature of habit. So those things just eventually became signaling to my brain. I'm like, okay, it's time to get up. It's time to go to sleep. I've heard it is loud to people. I never woke up because I turned over, though. But also, I was pretty much out like a light once we started sleeping. I never slept better than I had on trail. I don't think I'll ever sleep that well again. Yeah. Unless I do another hike. After walking that much during the day or exercising that much during the day, I'm sure exhaustion would take over. Yeah. The first time we ever did 20 miles, which is like a really big milestone, I think it was maybe 10 days into our hike. I fell asleep at 6.30, and I think we woke up at 6.30. <laughs> and <laughs> I think I still wanted to sleep more, but we had to get going. But yeah, you're, I mean, you're just recuperating. You do a lot, and you push your body to limit. So sleep is super important. So, like, people should really, like, figure out what sleep system works for them so they're not mm-hmm. impacting that at all. Since you were a slide sleeper, did you also do a pillow, or did you just fold up stuff? I had bought a pillow and then decided not to go with it. I found I could sleep fine if I just, I used my clothes bag. So I would put my puffy or if I wasn't wearing it or my hat. And at first I put my hiking clothes in it. But once I got to Northern California, I actually just started sleeping in my hiking clothes. (laughs) Just because it was, I don't know, it was just easier. (laughs) It was like one less thing to do. But yeah, like I would stuff my, my clothing bag full of clothes and I would just use that as a pillow. And I slept fine. I still do that on when I go on little backpacking trips. It just works for me. You're lucky. Yeah. But people who had a pillow, they really enjoyed it. So, you know, just figure out what works for you. Different strokes for different folks. Exactly. Circling back to the 107 things I learned. Okay. Tell me about the tent steak chopsticks. Oh, that was a desperation move. <laughs> yeah, I had, uh, it actually started with like a little, like a, a, I just feel kind of like an idiot, but I was, so this was a section that uh, Indigo and I had decided to hike alone because we hadn't done that at all up to that point. So it was a section between Cascade Locks, which is the border of Oregon and Washington. And we met up again at White Pass, which is in like, southern Washington, but it's like 150 miles, I think. So it's a fairly large section. And at around right before Goat Rocks, I was finishing up a day. And I I think I was on my phone, maybe I was drafting this post or something. I don't know. I don't think someone should write and hike at the same time, (laughs) even though I did it all the time. But yeah, I like lost my footing and just face planted and fell. And thankfully, I didn't like fall down a mountain. But at that point, unbeknownst to me, my, I'd kept my, I kept my spoon in one of my side pockets and it had fallen out. And so I get to camp and I can't find my spoon. And I'm like, oh man, it must have happened when I fell down. And, but it was two or three miles back. So I was not about to, you know, half all the way back there. And so it was double ramen night. So I just decided to make do with what I had. And I had two extra tent steaks that I put hand sanitizer on and I just used them as chopsticks. And it worked out well. And then later down the line, when I met up with uh, Indigo, she had recognized my spoon because that's how well you get to know someone mm-hmm. when you're hiking with them. And she had picked it up and grabbed it for me. And then I had my spoon back. Score. Yeah. So, you know, 
good to get to know each other on that level of knowing what someone's spoon looks like. Exactly. I'm sure you could probably follow somebody's footprints. Oh, literally. Yeah. We would know, I mean, you know each other's shoe size, you know what shoes everyone wears. You could literally do that after a certain point of hiking with people. Yeah, that was a funny little thing. You, I don't know why, but you become kind of like, uh, it feels almost kind of like animalistic in terms of like your tracking or whatnot. But mm-hmm. when we were in the Sierra and there was nothing but snow, like you, I mean, you literally didn't see flat trail for like maybe 100 miles or something. So it was just on snow. But you got really good at finding the trail or at least following like a footpath of snow when like at first we were really struggling, like looking at our phones, like, okay, this way, 10 minutes later, look at the phone this way. And you could kind of just follow it. You could find the trail a bit easier. And Indigo's dad had joined us for a section in North Yosemite and he had kind of pointed that out to us. And you just, I don't know, you just get so good at tracking, (laughs) which feels I don't know. It feels like a hunter or like a prey or something. I don't know, but you kind of like figure it out. But yeah, you definitely get to know everyone in your group really well. Oh, I'm sure. Everybody's basically got minimalistic gear and yeah, yeah. And everyone has their favorite and you know, little quirks and stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You uh, in your in your list, you also had mentioned Campophonique for mosquito bites. Oh, oh, Campophonique. Yeah. <laughs> I am, I am like, I, they should call me and I'll be a spokesperson for them. I am a huge fan of this product. So like, I personally, I think I'm allergic to mosquito bites because I get big areas of the size, four quarters of just welts when I get a mosquito bite. And it's, I mean, that was something I was really nervous about going on trail because, you know, there's certainly a lot of bugs. And so I would beat myself up every you know, few hours, which probably not healthy, but it worked out. But Campophonique was just, I don't remember exactly how I found this. I think I just found it in like a drawer in my bathroom before I left. And it was this gel and it said like Campophonique bug stuff. And I was like, well, I might as well try this. So I threw it into my first aid kit along with, you know, hydrocortisone, which is the more well-known cream for anti-itch stuff. Mm -hmm. And just by like experimentation, I found that if I put Campophonique on a bug bite right afterwards, it, for me, minimized how much swelling would happen. And it would actually like make a bug bite disappear after a few hours. I've had experiences before a trail where if I got like bug bite on my ankle, it would swell up to the point where like I would have pain walking. And so, mm-hmm. but if I put Campophonique on there, it really didn't, it didn't, bother me that much so I became a huge proponent of it and like I make it really clear on my gear stuff I'm like get this cream or right, it doesn't yeah. come in a cream that often but like it comes in this little glass bottle of liquid and I just I literally kept it in my pocket so that whenever a mosquito bit me and I noticed I could apply it really quickly but yeah it was like a little treasure yeah but I tried to like share it with everyone else did anybody else follow your lead on that I think like a couple of people in my trail family may have like noticed. I would say like pass the finique or like give me some campo. Like we would just give it little nicknames. I think Indigo used it a little bit when she had bug bites. I have uh, Amazon affiliate stuff on my website. Just full disclosure mm-hmm. for anyone, so I can okay. see like what things people click on and or not. I don't think what they click on, but what they decide to purchase or something. I have there's a lot of people who like click on it and then decide not to get it. And I think that people, I might, maybe my description is a little too overpassionate or something, but 
but I wish people would get it because it's just like, I don't know. I think it's this unknown little secret um, with bug bites. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've had a lot of problems with it, so it's it's been my my savior. So if you have, if you have issues with bug bites, anyone out there, get some Campylophanic in your pack. Yeah. Lifesaver. How was the Sierras for you? I mean, because those are notorious for being awful with with mosquitoes. Yeah, I think when I was like reading other people's accounts of it in other years when there wasn't as much snow, I think that we actually had it much easier than other folks did, just maybe because there was so much snow. I I mean, I certainly applied, you know, DEET, you know, when we left camp in the morning and at night when we were just sitting down for dinner. There was only like one day where it was really insane and I ate dinner in my tent that night (laughs) and that was in North Yosemite. But I don't know. I didn't think it was as crazy as I was expecting it to be. But again, that might have been just a result of because I think when the snow melts, then there's a lot more like moisture for them to be around or something. But I don't know. That's just like a theory. Right. I'm trying to think. Somebody was telling me something about mosquitoes and I'm totally spacing now on the philosophy of mosquito infestation <laughs> or the, or swarming. I just don't remember oh, what it is now. I got to know that. I got to hear that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of it. Um, Maybe it was Meg, huh? I'll have to I'll have to think back on on it at this point. Mm-hmm. But you also had mentioned, well, in your in in your hundred and sevens list, you had mentioned baby wipes, but then you also just mentioned uh, hand sanitizer. So did you carry both with you? And oh yeah, yeah. I um, I mean, use hands. I think pretty much everyone has hand sanitizer because for you know going number two and then for ladies number one. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to be super gross, get sick that way. So, you know, hand sanitizer was really just for bathroom stuff, I think. And then baby wipes was just, uh, I loved cleaning. I mean, your feet and your legs are really dirty, especially in like a really dusty area, like, like Northern California and Oregon. And so I would, if there was water nearby, I'd wash off my legs and stuff, but doing baby wipes on my toes and making my feet feel fresh was just, I mean, it, that may count as a luxury item because I would carry like a pound of baby wipes. But I just love that experience of like going to bed and being like, okay, I'm like, at least my feet are clean. Right. Like, I like getting dirty and get stuff under my fingernails, but I was a huge, huge fan of getting showers when I could. So, <laughs> yeah, baby wipes were just like a little mini shower at the end of the day, I guess. It's sort of like a treat for your feet who are doing so mm-hmm. much work. Yeah, and I didn't really take care of my body that well. A lot of people, like, made, well, I don't know if a lot of people stretch, but I certainly didn't stretch at all, which is, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. I didn't have any injuries for, for some crazy reason, but I didn't really stretch. Like, if I massaged my feet, it was just with my other foot in my sleeping bag. <laughs> so, at, at least I was baby wiping. Right. Like, you were blisters, maybe. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm sure that you using the baby wipes to keep your feet clean was a huge factor in, in your lack of blisters and that kind of stuff. Well, maybe. Yeah. I'm, I'm certainly didn't hurt. So yeah, it's a fun thing to have. You also were talking about sweat rags and pee rags or pee rags. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So sorry, like, go on. No, I was going to say that's for women, particularly that's a big one. And I haven't heard people talk about that one yet. Um, yeah, so I, 
was weirded out by P-Rags and the concept of them before I got on trail. And like P-Rag, just if anyone doesn't know, it's just a a handkerchief or something or a rag that you keep tied to the back of your backpack and you use it to, you know, dry up after you go and you go pee in the woods. And this is, it kind of solves a couple things where one, you don't have to use toilet paper or bury toilet paper after using the bathroom. And two, like some, I think when you're like a little girl and you're going camping, you just drift and like, you know, you don't wipe Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. But that really causes skin rashes and it just is kind of gross. And so the pee rag is just, you just use a rag to dry off after you do your thing. And then you tie it to the back. And the concept is when it's on the back of your backpack, you're in the sun all day, especially on the PCT when there's a lot of, there isn't a lot of coverage in a lot of points in the day. So the idea is that the sun cleanses it a little bit, you know, dries it out. And then every few days or you know, every day or so you wash it in like, Either you wash it when you get to town or you just go in a creek and like kind of clean it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of P-Rags now because um, it's just like, it's really comfortable and easy and no waste. Yeah. So yeah. And then a sweat rag is just kind of the same concept, but it was just the other half handkerchief I had and I just tied it to one of my front straps. And so it was always just dangling there and I don't know, you sweat a ton and you're blowing your nose or, you know, whatever. And you could just use it to wipe off the sweat off your face. And then again, you just clean it when you can. I had, again, when I started, I, you know, unbeknownst to me, was allergic to juniper tree. So it was kind of nasty because I was, I had all this mucus and I was coughing and I didn't have a rag at that point. So like my sleeves just became super nasty because I was just oh, trying to like Jesus. blow my nose and wipe and stuff. And like, yeah, it was not pretty the first few days. But yeah, a little rag, I mean, you just direct all the grossness at that one place. It's a lifesaver. But yeah, I thought it was super great. What was the longest amount of time that you were on trail or be- between resupply spots? That would probably be the stretch of the Sierra that goes over like all the passes. So it's between VVR, Vermilion Valley Resort which is just this little, I mean, resort, I think it's kind of a stretch. It's like a general <laughs> store and then places that you can camp. And then they charge obscene amounts of money for laundry and showers. And like some people around the area drive up there to go camping and stuff. And there's a beautiful lake. So it's that and not mammoth, but uh, I can't remember the name of this town. But it's where everyone goes before it's between Lone Pine Anyways, it's a town between Lone Pine and VVR. So the section is, I, I mean, I can't remember how many miles it is, but with all the snow, I think it took us eight days to get through oh, it wow. all. Okay. So, I mean, our bags were really heavy <laughs> um, when we yeah. left that place. But yeah, so like, I think when they had the, at the hostel we were at, they had uh, a packway station and mine was, I think, just shy of 40 pounds. And Indigo's was 45 or something. And that was pretty much, it was the addition of eight days of food. Well, actually, I think we carry nine days because, you know, you want to carry an extra day just in case. We had nine days of food. Then we had our bear canister and our ice axe and our micro spikes, all three of which we used like all the time in that section. So it didn't feel like a waste of, of weight. But yeah, that was, I think, the longest we went. And I remember like kind of learning a new 
like a new learning in that section was to eat your heavy, heaviest food first. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, it's just, you know, logical. You, you just, then your pack weight goes down quicker. Cause yeah, it is a drag to have like it's such a heavy pack, especially as you're going up these passes and stuff. And the, and the, and your pack, the ULA circuit, it handled that weight or that, and that bulk fine. I mean, I don't think it's designed to hold that much weight. Actually, I know for a fact it's not designed to hold that much weight, but you know, it's just what you had. So, and so the rest of the trail was perfectly fine. It's, it wasn't super comfortable to hold that much weight, but I mean, maybe in that section, the Osprey would have been more comfortable because it kind of like has different ways to hold the weight better, but it worked. We got through it. Yeah. Our backpacks were crazy heavy. Oh, there's actually this, (laughs) if you don't want me sharing this funny little tidbit that happened with it. Please. So with all the snow, when it's, I don't know if you've heard about sun cups at all. Uh Uh-uh. No? Okay. So basically the snow that you experience on trail a lot of the times, it's not just a flat surface. It has these really uh, deep divots. And so you're kind of walking. It kind of like looks like a checkerboard almost where you have some parts that are like deep down and some parts that are higher. And it's just a result of the sun melting and pulling the melted snow into certain places. And it just kind of gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And so it's not crazy in most cases, but when we were approaching one of the passes, Pinchot Pass, it was a field of sun cups and they were all maybe three feet deep. So you kind of walk, you know, ever so carefully on the top parts and, but you're going to fall. I mean, there's, you know, a mile of this. (laughs) And so what would happen is you would lose your footing and fall. And then if you fell forward, the weight of your backpack would pull you back and then you'd be belly up. And I called this the turtle effect just because it reminded me of turtles that fall on their backs. Yeah. But yeah, I remember like that was so frustrating for all of us that a few of us opted to walk in a stream upstream because it was just faster. <laughs> and like we didn't care that our feet got wet because we were just so annoyed by all of this. I could see that. And and if you're walking through the snow anyway, your feet are going to get wet one way or the other. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that was a funny little moment. We are kind of up to our 90 minutes. So I wanted to throw out to you if there's, is there anything that you feel like we haven't talked about or any, any words of advice or, or whatever that want to be through hikers should know about? Sure. I'll just touch on two other things. If that's cool. Um, Resupply and then just a general, like everything's going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) So like, my resupply strategy was it was a hybrid mix of sunny packages and then buying spots along the way. And of course, I had spent hours researching every town and like figured out a plan. And uh, Indigo and I, since we were hiking together, she just kind of like fell into the same plan and packed up all her boxes. So like we sent boxes from home to I would I don't know somewhere between like half to maybe like sixty percent of places that mm. we stopped in on trail. But I would strongly recommend that people don't do that. And instead, you could still do the hybrid of sending packages and buying in town, but you can do that on trail. So what some of my friends did was when we got to certain towns on trail where there was easily accessible food and we had enough space to like have a a box and maybe you had a car, a rent a car or something that you could go to the post office, was they would 
you know, we would do all our planning as a group and figure out, you know, around when we'd be in certain places and uh, how many miles we were going to do and how many miles we had to do to get to a certain date and stuff. And so we'd work out that, okay, we have to send four boxes to separate towns in the next month or so. And so they would go to town and buy all their food and pack them up in boxes and mail them out while we were just, you know, on trail. You know, I mean, we're in a town, but, you know, we're there. Mm-hmm. And so... I thought that was an amazing idea that I didn't really hear about because to me, it sounded like you either ship everything from home or you buy stuff on trail, but you can do both. (laughs) And so what they had the advantage of knowing what they like to eat, um, how much they were going to eat and just having more flexibility that way. And of course, then the only downside really is that you spend less time in town relaxing or something because there's a lot of chores you have to do in town. So this kind of adds to it, but I think if I were to do it again, I would do it this way. I think I was just a little too, like I wanted to control something before I left um, Mm -hmm. rather than leave it up to the whims of being on trail and such. But I would strongly recommend people consider that option, which is one that I didn't really hear about that much before leaving. So that's It actually seems to kind of cover both sides of things. You have the, the experience and the education of being on trail, but you're also not just dependent upon what you can find in a given store. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, and then, I mean, you're on, you can have gut hooks there and you know how to use gut hooks at this point And you're like, oh, okay, this place doesn't have tortillas. So I'll mm-hmm. mail tortillas there or something like that. So there's a lot of like, hmm. yeah, trusting that you can like figure it all out when you're out there. <laughs> yeah. I like it. So yeah. Yeah. So I actually haven't written about that. I've been thinking about writing a post just on resupply, having separate from food. So maybe I'll do that and write that out in a little more eloquent form. Yes, please. Yeah. But that then ties into the second thing, which is just that for any, I don't know, I feel like there's definitely maybe a sizable amount of people out there who were, are, are like me and they like maybe are not, you know, they don't go on backpacking trips all the time and they've never done, you know, X, Y, and Z activities of whether it's long water stretches or creek crossings or an ice axe or something. But like, I don't know, just a general, like, it'll be fine. You'll figure it out. Just trying to trust in yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I kind of like freaked out in a lot of respects about that, but I don't know. I mean, you just kind of like figure it out and, and you kind of like, you know, you, you learn and you grow. And like, I think I may have underestimated how much more I would learn about backpacking on trail, <laughs> ironically, but yeah, I don't know. Everything kind of works out. You'll get to the next water stretch, you know, like, I mean, even in your worst case scenario. So like one time we got to a water cache and someone had told us that day, they're like, Oh yeah, there's water up ahead. Don't worry about it. And we got there and there was no water left. None. Wow. And then we, we still had 10 miles to go. And I think at that point, we, we each had like a half liter of water left. And, and I was like in hot, dry Oregon. It was smoky. And like, so that's like a worst case scenario, right? You're 10 yeah. miles away from water. Like, I remember going into like the trash can they had set up there and like they had originally had Pepsi cans. And I like took one out and like just tried to get the last drops because was, I was really thirsty. <laughs> but you know what? We made it it was kind of hard and thirsty and like maybe wasn't the best situation, but I don't know. You kind of just get through it <laughs> somehow, some way. I know that there are certain situations where there are emergencies and you might not get through it, but I don't know. I feel like I, I never really heard about those or at least I didn't personally experience it, but yeah, you'll right. figure it out. Yeah. 
What did I heard somebody say? It's it's all figure outable. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can you you know don't doubt yourself. You got this. Yeah. Um, and that's actually probably the best message of of, of everything. Yeah. Like, just you got it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If I could do it, or you know, do my <laughs> eighteen hundred miles, then sure, sure, go for it. Yeah, and your gear will be fine. And if it's not fine, you change it. Like, it's not the end of the world. So, yeah. Even if your gear breaks, my tent just broke. The zipper just broke. So in Washington. I hosted, you know, I was like Airbnb for mice. I just came in my tent and <laughs> like one like ran across my face and that was the whole thing. <laughs> and like they would poop on my sleeping bag and like, it was not great. I didn't enjoy the fact that my tent zipper was broken and I tried three times to fix it, but then, you know, still made it. <laughs> and then big Agnes sent me a new tent at the end. Cause they're like, thanks for actually trying to fix it. <laughs> I'm like, you got it, man. <laughs> thanks for the new tent. <laughs> Yep. I, I like yeah. your your uh, glass half full approach of you were doing an Airbnb for mice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, man, those mice are ruthless. Let me tell you. Uh, Washington. Yep. They they ate my hat. They like, I have a hole in like one of my favorite hats and it's, they just like the sweat. So they'll just eat everything. So, yep. but you um, know, you're no match. I mean, the mice are no match. Or what am I trying to say? Anyways, you can beat the mice. You can beat all the things. <laughs> It'll <Yeah>. be fine. <laughs> um, Perfect. Yeah. Where where can people find you if they want to reach out and have additional questions or or just want to oh, follow yeah. your additional adventures? For sure. I love I and will happily answer questions and I encourage people to reach out. I think the two easiest ways are I have my my email on my website, hikewithll.com, and it's just hello at hikewithll.com. Or people can just DM me on Instagram, and my Instagram handle is C underscore uh, diggity dog, and dog is spelled D-A-W-G. It's a long story, but I've always really dug that <laughs> Instagram handle. <laughs> but yeah, my, my DMs are open, and yeah, I, I'd be more than happy to answer any questions and help people, help get them out the door, so... Beautiful. Yeah. And thank you for uh, for circling back around. Yeah. No, thank you so much for reaching out. This has been so fun. I'm glad we got to do this. Yep. Absolutely. I am enjoying every one of these conversations and I'm learning something new from everybody. It's fantastic. Yeah. Me too, actually. <laughs> I've been listening to a couple of them. I'm like, oh, that's a fun little tip or I didn't think about it this way. So I, I'm, in, I'm loving these. Yeah. So I'll definitely be following along and sharing them with some folks. So oh, keep it thank up. you. And good luck with your 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 through hike. I'll definitely oh, thank be, you. be following. <laughs> You're twenty twenty, yeah. right? Twenty twenty. All right. That's a good number. notes and links for Caitlin's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Caitlin for sharing her stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. We'd love to hear about your trail adventures as well, so please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. 
We would also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. We'll see you on the trail.